Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, it's the end of music month. Yeah, we've uh we've we've touched on what we did we did mu- we did rock biopics. Rock biopics. We did concert films. Concert films. We did musicals. Musicals. Now we're doing rock docs. Rock docs. Uh but it's a special treat. We got a, we got a guest. we got two guests. Two here guests to talk about rock docs with us. They used to have a an excellent uh, music-related podcast called The Shit Parade Show. Oh, thank so we you. figured they were uh, well-suited right. to this topic. Uh, it's Aaron Gibson and Joel Church Cooper. Hello. This is my voice. I'm Joel. <laughs> the, the Shit Parade Show was... Uh, now, I, didn't, I, I hadn't listened to it before we started doing this show, but remarkably similar in format in that <laughs> you guys would essentially pick a topic. Right. It, it, it wasn't like a, a profile or like what's new in music. It was a topic, and then you just talk around it. And uh, so, I don't want you guys thinking we stole the idea. Just said it to apply it oh, to movies. Oh no! <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I hadn't heard the show sadly before we started doing this. But uh, I've since gone back and I loved it. Oh, uh, thanks! Yeah, it's Why also, aren't you guys doing it anymore? Well, we we um, <laughs> that's kind <laughs> of accusatory. Yeah. Uh, well, as I'm sure <laughs> you, you guys know, something it's not uh, podcasting is not always the most lucrative field. Rewarding, <laughs> yes. Lucrative, no. And uh, we started doing a web series called Roomating. And um, we we enjoyed doing that more, and it took up even more of our time. And it's sort of what at the end result is sort of what we wanted to do more than than you know podcasting. So we just kind of went with that instead. I really I really enjoyed our show. Um, really enjoyed it. I actually do miss it. I I miss it. I missed having a, a venue to as you guys are doing now, invite on interesting people and talk about things. Uh, and then have it recorded, and then and then have other people comment on the discussions we had. That was was really fun. But um, it's also hard. Like you also at a point. I'm not saying you. I certainly got tired of hearing myself talk, and I felt like I was getting, I was exhausting my <laughs> my um, personal stories. And I was like, man, what net? Like, and also I think we got a point to a point where we were like. Who are we gonna book now? Like we kind of exhausted <laughs> all of our all of our friends and, and um there was there was one episode we didn't release which was um we I think it was towards the end, towards the end when we were tiring of it where we uh, Joel, Blake and I got really high and we it was a disaster. <laughs> we never released it. But I mean that I don't think that was indicative of anything other than when all of us got high we shouldn't record ourselves. Oh, I, I, don't think I don't think it was like an implosion or anything. It was just like it's difficult to have microphones in front of you when you're really high and trying to stay on topic. But don't you think the fact that we got really high meant that we didn't really care about doing a good show? <laughs> we used to record like five in a day. It was, oh, it was. Yeah, we got really, and that's the other thing. Like we, because we were all almost, um, we're all available only on Saturdays. Uh-huh. So we would do back to back. We do once a month. Oh my! Yeah, yeah that can be. That was a also rough schedule. That's why we needed the pot. I don't think. I think just because we wanted to change the pace. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, we we with the ship parade. We used to just sort of be about music, and it started off about music, and then we just sort of went, and it wasn't about music anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how much we talk about rock docs. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to it, quickly, uh, you know, tell us about yourselves. How did you? Where are you from? How did you get into into comedy? Uh, how did you meet up? What's and what, what lays in the this future? Is working. Well, we uh, we were on an improv team together um, at the I.O. West in Los Angeles. It's called Panties at a Bunch. Perhaps no one's heard of it. 
and we enjoyed being in that on the team together. That team broke up. We were in another sketch group together. That team broke up, and then as we they just do. as they do. <laughs> um, and then and then you we just started working together, and then something sort of clicked. Uh, and then yeah, we've been probably working like two years now together. Yeah. So we started doing duo stand up sketch type stuff. Uh, we. <laughs> We were wanting to. We were wishing someone would call us the modern day uh, Nichols and uh, Nichols May. And May. <laughs> but no one, uh, surprisingly, happen. no one knows who Nichols and May is anymore. We oh did a God. whole bit about um, Mike Nichols called us up on the phone during an act and chewed us out for stealing his bits. And then <laughs> it, it was very, I mean, if you know Nichols and May, it was delightful. <laughs> uh, no one in the crowd knew who the hell they were. I literally had to explain at a microphone who Mike Nichols was. I'm like, you mean the director of The Graduate? Nothing still. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, our our not quite stand up, not quite sketch didn't really go over, and we had no venue just to do it in. So then we started doing a web show, as I already mentioned, roommating, roommatingshow.com. And uh, you guys know how easy it is to just plop your own stuff up on the internet. <laughs> Super easy. <laughs> plop. Plop that's it the, up there. Yeah, that's the way to. You do don't got to worry about. You don't got to worry about upload. booking. You don't got to worry about uh, the crowd inviting your friends over and over and over again, sending email blasts. Although we did um, tragically have a video removed from YouTube last week. We had our. We have a episode where um, I inherit a sex slave, and it turns out that Joel's actually a better dominatrix than me. <laughs> and there's no real dominating in it, and it's very light. But um, there's nothing even there's nothing even sexual about it. Yeah, I've seen the episode. I know. It just it just acknowledges the existence of S and M, and that was enough to get pulled. That was that, community it was, standards. We violated the community standards on YouTube. Yeah, yeah wow. right. We had half a million hits, and all of them were from like all the comments oh. were from S and M people saying, "Thank you, thank you for putting this out there." Like, because oh, most S and M stuff. I mean, if you watch Law and Order, it's like, mm. look at this disgusting person doing exactly. this disgusting it's, thing. It's what SVU is all about. Yeah, it's built on. <laughs> Freaks. There's no positive. Uh, there's no positive role models for S and M in the comedy world. So we, we that's were what we did. That. That's what we did. So, but I got pulled. But we have lots of other videos that are, didn't get pulled, and so that's what we're kind of doing now. Yeah, is uh, doing those videos, and then we have a live show too. And it, which but, will be the last. We're doing our last performance Wednesday at UCB. That's the twenty seventh at eight. Wednesday twenty seventh. At eight, yes. It's the UCB LA on yes. Franklin. Yeah, LA. Oh yeah, if you're in New York, don't go. Don't go to your UCB. <laughs> or maybe do. There's probably, There's probably a great show there. Sure, but it's not roommating. <laughs> no, it isn't. And our show has nudity and Guitar Hero, so bonuses on that. Uh, if you want to make a reservation, three two three nine zero eight eight seven zero two. Hey, and end of end plugs. Plug done. <laughs> Man, I'm exhausted. I know, Are you exhausted it? with that? <laughs> that was just the intro. Imagine doing a whole podcast. That's why we had to smoke pot. By the way, um, <laughs> I have to go to my husband's cousin's birthday party after this, and and he his cousin is like very much into family and like not that that's a bad thing, but but we're not that close to him. But he sometimes guilts us for not coming over. So I'm bringing flyers to the party. Uh. <laughs> I'm be like, why aren't you supporting us? Your family. Nice. Is Thank this, you. this isn't the one that this is the one that wrote on Three's Company. This is another one. Yeah, yeah. This is, another, this is yeah. Uh, that was just for me. <laughs> um, so, Rock Docs. Yeah, let's That's get into right. it, shall we? Uh, w- did you guys want to? W- did you have any? Uh, did I have a prepared? favorite Rock Doc, which okay. is right. Dig. Oh yeah. Which I'm sure isn't um, a rarity. Um, it's been probably two years since I've seen it, but 
uh, remind me, it's pretty long, right? It's like four hours or no, something. No, it's not four hours. It's like two and a half hours. It's like hours. three it's, days it's, long. It's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of um, rock. There's a lot of that one crazy guy doing crazy shit. I remember that. He and the guy who was not who like didn't play an instrument, he was like a harmonica player, but he was just crazy and part of the band. He was the, the, dark. the tambourine player. Yes. Right? Yeah. Did you um, see? Did, uh, did anybody see the episode of Gilmore Girls that he was on? No, oh. he's an actor now. No. Oh. He, uh, did you, have you ever watched Gilmore Girls? Once. Okay, so Rory's friend Lane is in a band, mm-hmm. and in one episode they hire a new tambourine player, and it's this guy. And that like B plot of the episode is like a parody of Dig, where <gasps> they start getting into fights on stage and stuff like that. It's a no fucking way. Great episode. How brilliant! Yeah, Gilmore Girls is brilliant. Yeah, we've never addressed your love of Gilmore Girls on you, the show. Yeah, we'll, would you we'll recommend Gilmore Girls? Absolutely, yeah. Do, I mean, is it like The Wire? Do I have to start at um, season one, episode one? It's not like The Wire. I'll, I'll catch in, up. In any way. But do you <laughs> like, well, okay, do you like... By the way, first um, comparison of The Wire and Gilmore yeah, Girls. Yeah, well, we brought that over. I'm glad for another <laughs> fun podcast. This is what I would break down Gilmore Girls. It's if you like the pacing and the wit of West Wing... But you like it maybe slightly girlier and without the political content. That's sort of what Gilmore oh. Girls. It's like everyone's hyper smart. Everything's back. Everyone sort of has the same voice. It's very much the voice of the r- main writer. Right. But instead of like political ruminations, it's like they're mining pop culture detritus. Mine culture and then yeah, the, the pop culture and then sort of the relationships and, the, and there's a melodramatic aspect. I could never get into it, but I, I understood why people enjoyed it. And I used to work on the Warner Brothers a lot, and it was kind of cool to have an entire <laughs> the whole town was there. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad so. the tambourine player from Dig has got something going for him. <laughs> well, he was, it was just the one episode. I don't know if he's... Uh, he, he's, he's I haven't made checked it. his IMDb page. I don't know if he's in <laughs> he anything else. He's IMDb. <laughs> Dig and Gilmore Girls. Those are his only credits. <laughs> but uh, David, I, I, don't, I don't think you... Did you finish watching... Did you watch Gilmore Girls all the way to the end? He may show up. No, I, I, haven't, well, I haven't seen every episode of Gilmore There you Girls. go. Maybe see. he does come it back. It fell off towards the end, everyone said. Well, the last season, Amy Sherman Palladino right. left. Uh, just like m- another comparison to the West Wing, Aaron Sorkin left after, after season four, and it went downhill. And uh, but then the last season was actually That's was actually hear. was actually pretty good. The Jimmy Smith season, and it was sort of Jimmy Smith and the Barack Obama parallels are are there, guys. They um, sure let's. Are. We already <laughs> we got off Rock Docs that fast. So uh, <laughs> here's what I like about Dig. Um, I li- I like in the first apparently there was the one girl in Dandy Warhols. And apparently she used to take her top off. Oh in yeah, shows. Well, she's the keyboard player. Yeah, right. And then and then it happens like they show clips of it. And then she was like in her early twenties, and they were perky. And I was like, yeah, this is great, rock and roll. And then later on, the Brian Jones of the massacre like points out how like how just stupid that is. Like it was <laughs> yeah. just so obvious to get attention, and <laughs> she really didn't need to do it. And it sort of just objectifies her and makes her seem stupid. And uh, I was like, yeah. So that was the kind of the fun thing about the that one is. Brian Jones Sounds Massacre is ridiculous. They were just a holes, but but probably more talented. Oh, and certainly. what the, when they would criticize the Danny Warhols, they were usually dead on. Yeah, um, they were Danny Warhols were sort of. Fake. I delighted the in the terrible. Remember how excited they were to have David LaChapelle direct their video, yes. and they just hated it. <laughs> yes, that to me, that was brilliant that they included that because. Good for them for realizing that it was something that they shouldn't have done, and it wasn't them. Like that was, there were a couple moments where I thought the Dandy Warhols came off as like pretty self-aware and and not as big of jerks as the um, Brian's Jonestown massacre pegged them as. But then for the most part, they're pretty much like, "Yay, success! Sorry." 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, drunk guys in a white room, passed out. Uh, and that 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 scene when the oh, quick question about the podcast: Do we clue in the 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 audience towards the plot? Do we have to describe? Here's what you can do: You can clue me in because oh. I've not seen it. Okay. Oh, <laughs> here we just, go. I was just sitting here, and you know what? I kind of kind of zoned out. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a car alarm. Was wondering if it was mine, and uh, then I realized we were recording. And so, uh, so let's back it up. Yeah, yeah. And you can, wow. uh, you can glad, tell me what I'm Dig glad is about. I asked that question. Yeah, so, I am too. So, Dig is the story of two um, bands from the LA scene who came up at the same Seattle. time. Seattle or Portland, it's, right? Yeah, but they moved to LA and they got signed out of LA. Oh, they did. Yes. Um, I'll check right? that later. I think so. Yeah. I'll fact yeah, check that later. I think they maybe weren't from originally LA, but they moved to LA anyway. I don't have my, I don't have my, I don't have internet today, so the the listeners are gonna notice I'm not gonna seem as smart as I usually do. Oh no! Because I'm usually looking shit up. Because there was the whole, <laughs> there was the whole big thing. There was the whole big thing that they like went to a party and Harry Dean Stanton was there. I mean that doesn't happen in Portland. No. So he lives up in the he, hills. Yes, which was I think yes. So uh, it's a story of two bands coming out of the L.A. scene, both sort of like the buzz bands at the time. So this is like mid-90s, late-90s. And um, both were getting signed. One was called the Brian Jones Hounds Massacre, and one was called the Dandy Warhols. And the Dandy Warhols have since achieved a modicum of success. They've had a couple hits, and their their songs get merchandised a lot for commercials because they write kind of poppy songs. Yeah. Um, and then the Brian Jones Sounds Massacre, who probably was the bigger band at the time they started making the film, sort of imploded because the lead singer was crazy. And it's sort of about the still, rivalry. Still is crazy. Still is crazy. Uh, and, and since the documentary's come out, they've Brian Jones Sounds Massacre kind of had a revival, and he, he's still crazy. Yeah. Did and he, there was, he, like, an interview in Entertainment Weekly where he, like, it was after Dig came out, and so people were, like, rediscovering. What was, what was his name? Uh, Anton? Anton. Something. Something. Mm-hmm. And he said something Corbin. about uh, like accused Eric Clapton of having thrown his kid out a window. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the, you the watch big... him go crazy. Did you know that was filmed over like nine years or yeah. something? Yeah, seven years, I think. It, wow. it, it, it was Sorry, similar to. No, that's okay. I'm glad uh, you knew that without your internet. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> if you guys have done a. You probably have talked about, um, since you're doing this podcast, the. Uh, oh, God. Overnight, the, the documentary oh, about. Yeah. Um, Troy, Troy Duffy, Duffy Troy Troy who Duffy. did Boondock Saints. Have you guys talked about that yet? Uh, have we talked about we it? We may have talked about we, it. We've y- certainly weeks talked about ago. it in our, in our, in our private right. lives. I lo- yeah, for those <laughs> that haven't seen, okay, for those who haven't seen Boondock Saints, Don't. watch it if for no other reason so you can watch right. overnight and watch just the complete and total self-destruction of the filmmaker. It's a similar thing sort of for Dig and, and the guy from Brian Jonestown's Massacre because they have so many opportunities and he just – he self destructs at every single. He chooses the moment of their, their like big, like industry showcase to ha- have a huge fight and meltdown on stage and not play a single song. You know, and not like a like an argument, like an actual fight. Yes, in right? a fight, like <laughs> and the whole thing gets shut down, and and then they get signed, and then they still fuck it up, and he just he just refuses to um, be successful. Be successful, like and 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 then thinks it's like sort of punk to sabotage himself. Which you know what I'm so over this idea that it's so cool to be, to be a jerk and to be like I feel like that's so, that's so dated. Like, like, hey, I may be crazy, but I can sign a contract and I can certainly be calm when I need to be. Like, hmm. can't it's it's not that hard. You can still have freedom and and do some shit. You know, like well, I think I think that's what Dig sort of showed was it showed uh, how 
much of a douchebag that guy was while still being talented. Like, it never questioned his abilities, but it just showed him for... And really, like, when you do things like that and when you choose the moment of that, it's not like he did that stuff all the time. I mean, he fucked around all the time, but I can cuss, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. He fucked around all the time. Just because we he... don't have uh, cuss words in the title of our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that hampered our success. Um, so... Uh, he would choose those moments to really go crazy, which I think is a is a self-destructive thing of saying like I'm fearful of success. I don't or not worthy, you know. Yeah. There's something rock and roll about it. It's really just someone's own neuroses sort of acting out, you know. But the movie almost goes against your point, Aaron, because uh, the Danny Warhols who do have the clear-headedness to uh, embrace success end up sucking. I don't know if they end up sucking. Though. Well, I guess maybe after the movie, they. I mean, they suck now. They suck now. Yeah. Maybe well, that's I, I, think, I think I think yeah they they um certainly didn't I think they lost a little bit of their integrity and and I think that's true for a lot of artists when they get really successful they just I'll say can I say something Kelly Clarkson she's done a good job she's <laughs> done a good job I thought she was gonna um trail out and fade out but she's kept it in there and I'm not a big like pop rock fan but um but boy those Dandy Warhols. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I, they, there. Actually, there was a song in the gym the other day, and I was like, "This is terrible." And it was Dandy Warhol's. <laughs> I, I couldn't even. They have a new album out. It's not good. I had to stop working out. That's how bad yeah. it was. Um, <laughs> and you just started like eating like a lot of donuts. And stuff. I just started <laughs> you eating donuts. <laughs> you just went so far in the other direction. That's what this band did to you that day. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Dandy. Um, so another, I'll bring up another. Uh, Wait, can I w- one more thing yes. about Dig? One more thing about Dig. I, I love Dig so much, and I was so, um, I was so captivated by it that I watched the director's commentary, or not the director's commentary. There was an extra with the director, and she's talking about how she made the film and how she basically immersed herself into the scene, and and, and she was there all the time for seven years, and then they're like cutting away to footage of the film, and then they cut back, and she's has her top off and she's breastfeeding <laughs> and i like so that ruined the movie for me because i look i get it ladies have to breastfeed their babies but i do think it's gross i think it's really gross and i was almost like appalled that she would ruin this like magical thing but of course she but she just showed to like she wasn't modest about it it was almost like she was the keyboardist and she was just like i do this all the time like there just happens to be a baby attached to me. So just a, a warning if you're going to watch that. There's a lot of there's good There's good boobs and bad boobs in that movie, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Uh, if okay, you want so good boobs, you can go to the UCB Theater uh, on the 27th. <laughs> and you can you'll see, see, you'll see Yeah, you'll see some nudity. Day. You'll see my, my boobs. Um, <laughs> so another one I'll bring up, and, and let's, let's see if we, we can get Tyler on this one. All right. Um, I am trying to break your heart. Haven't seen that one. Wow! I want to. Here's the thing. Really good. Much here. Okay, uh, you guys. I don't so know we, you guys chose a subject where you haven't seen a lot of rock dogs. <laughs> Music month. David's idea. Okay, oh, <laughs> it's all coming into but, focus. Uh, here. Yeah, I yeah, saw. Maybe next month we'll do what? Uh, character actor month. No, let's Noir do uh, let's do uh, <laughs> static shot long take month. <laughs> uh, and just basically talk about Jim Jarmusch and uh, John. Yeah. Oh, what about? That'll uh, be right up. Oh, I was going to get us off topic with. Uh, I'll think of it. Continue. <laughs> right. She'll think of. She'll try to remember how to get us off topic. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try yes. to get remember how to remember. I'm going to remind myself to get us off topic with something that I can't think of. 
Well, I'm sure you'll you'll get something soon. It was a future movie with there was only one person that could get pregnant. Children of Men. Children yes. Of men. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. Well, uh, I'm glad we fixed that. Yeah. Well, you did get us off yeah. topic, so well done. Um, but uh, no, I do want to see that. I, I've only, uh, you know, I, I hadn't seen a lot of concert films. I haven't seen a whole lot of musicals, and I haven't seen a lot of uh, uh, rock docs, which is actually one of the reasons that I like uh, that we are doing Music Month is because I'm. it forces me to be exposed to movies that certainly interested me, but I just... You know, I never made the effort to go and see them as opposed to something else. So, like, mm-hmm. mo- movies that I've been wanting to see for a long time, like uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I'd seen The Last Waltz and Woodstock. Mo- mm-hmm. Those are movies that I'd wanted to see for years, but I never got around to it. And so, so yes, so that's – so, like, listeners, I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because uh, <laughs> listeners for the last few weeks are probably like, this is bullshit. I don't know anything about this. He talks about three movies every week. <laughs> Uh, and sure enough, I'm going to talk about three movies this week. But I do want to see uh, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. David has seen it and, and highly recommends it. Yeah, I saw it at the Music Box Theater in Chicago. That's <gasps> awesome. Wow. Great theater. Uh, Home base. Are you from Chicago? Uh, I, I went to college in Chicago. Yeah, we you both, did? Yeah. We both did. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, Columbia College, Chicago. That's right. Oh, boy, I moved here from Chicago. Watch really? out. Watch it. I did Second City in Chicago. Oh, cool. And I oh, and then I got married and moved here to this shit place. Yeah. This shit town. She loves it. I love it here. So, uh, so yeah. So I'm. The reason we're talking about Chicago so much, if you guys don't know, is is uh, I'm trying to break your heart. Is about the band Wilco, which is from Chicago. Watch out. Well, and here as a, huge I'm, following. I'm a native St. Louisan. Okay. And I, I feel like we Wilco has taken has essentially moved to Chicago, but we have a claim on them because they're really from. You Jeff have an Tweedy, Uncle Tupelo claim. Uncle Tupelo. They're from uh, shit. Um, Belleville. They're from someplace in Illinois that's p- essentially just across the river. And Uncle Tupelo was considered a local band in St. Louis because they're way closer mm-hmm. to St. Louis uh-huh. than Chicago. And so like, I, I started listening to Wilco when I was 12 when AM came out. Right. Because they were on like the local radio because they were a local band. And so I feel like... I feel like I've been, uh, as a, as a St. Louisan, I've been betrayed by Jeff Tweedy and oh. company because they've decided to take up the mantle of Chicago when they were. I, I know, but St. Like, Louis supported them. If I just, if I, if I decided uh, not to try to have an actual career, move to L.A. and I was just a local comedian in Northern California, and I was from Sacramento, but then I did stuff in San Francisco, they wouldn't be like Sacramento comedian, you know? They'd be like a San Francisco comedian, Joel Church Cooper, you know? You right. just you, okay. everyone just gravitates towards the major metropolitan area, and that's where you're from. Yeah. But, but yeah, people. So, I mean, wait, does St. Louis wait, have a thing with Chicago? Like that's sort of like a second city, almost. That like they're the second city to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's the Cardinals Cubs rivalry, right? Uh, but I don't know if it's I don't know if it's on our minds all the time. But I mean, I, I, I'm going to stick up for St. Louis again. St. Louis is essentially like I mean, Ike Turner and Chuck Berry are both from St. Louis. It's like the birthplace of rock and roll. Okay, uh, and we know the Sklars and uh, oh, they've been on the show. They're the friends Sklars, of the show. friends of the show. The Sklars are, are big-time St. Louis boosters. Yeah. So you're in good company. Yes. Even if your town does suck. Oh, burn. <laughs> out of nowhere. That was not uh, out of nowhere. Uh, I saw it coming. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I saw your eyes twinkle. Uh, <laughs> so I am trying to break your heart. Yeah, so That's w- uh, an amazing documentary, and it's it, it's a story. It, there's such a narrative. The narrative exists going into mm-hmm. it, you know? Like, you couldn't have written that. Like, yes. I mean, you could have written it. I hate you you, you would have, but it, it would have been very well written if you had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a great story that it's uh, it's it's one of those rare documentaries that's just so 
fortuitous that they happen there happen to be cameras there. Should we say what it's what happens? Okay. Uh yeah. Um Wilco recorded an album called Yankee Hotel Foxtrot for Warner Brothers. Uh Warner Brothers hated it and didn't want to release it, so Wilco had to buy they decided to buy the music because Warner Brothers owned it under their contract. They bought the music back, shopped it around, and ended up finding a label called Nunsuch, which is just like a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, and so Nunsuch, with Warner Brothers money, essentially paid them more than they were making from Warner Brothers. And, and then it was went on to be their the most successful album and sort of launched them to an, another level yeah. of success. Sorry, is this when is this the same documentary where um, the guitar player leaves? Yes, oh. it's all one, and that's and that's another interesting thing is uh, in the in the film probably the second creative force in the in the band is kicked out. Uh, over the course of touring, like they're there for the making of the album, he's there for the making of the album, and then in the touring of the album, he just gets um, he gets kicked out, and that I I find that very interesting. But what was was it was it basically two alpha males? Is that what the and 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 Tweety was just a little more in power? I think my analysis of it, and that's why I find it so interesting, is um, my analysis is he didn't think it was Jeff Tweety's band. He thought it was a band they were all in, and Jeff Tweedy was the lead singer, but it was their band. And everyone else in the band was pretty sure it was Jeff Tweedy's band, and Jeff Tweedy thought it was Jeff Tweedy's band, yeah. but Jay Bennett did not think that. Yeah. And then, so as he sort of started resting control and fighting the band and Jeff Tweedy on things, it just it just became sort of like... You know, know your role. Like you have the role, and yeah. he wasn't knowing his role. That's why. I, that's there's like there's a great scene where they, they have like a problem, and Jeff Tweedy's not in the studio, and the rest of the band is like, "Well, let's just call Jeff and get Jeff in here." And and Jay Barnett is the only like the lone voice saying, "No, we can we can work on this now." And then mm-hmm. everyone else is like, "Let's just hold off until Jeff gets here." Right. And <sighs> and he leaves, and the the rest of the band is totally fine with it. <laughs> you know, like it's not like and and yeah. no one was they're like, not sticking yeah. up for him like in fact jeff tweedy was the one sort of being very diplomatic the rest of the band was not just like i'm glad I'm glad he's gone and his point in the after interview because they interview him after the breakup jay bennett says you know there's a lot of uh money invested in being in a band like this is their life like they're going to make money they're going to go on tour their lives are set for them as long as they they sort of keep on jeff's good side which is true because it's Jeff's band, you know, <laughs> uh, and then so they have a really sad. They sh- they show him playing a date, and the last show he did was like the mm-hmm. Illinois State Fair in front of like twenty thousand people, like adoring Wilco fans. Just released an album, he like waves goodbye, and they cut and they do the interview, the breakup, and then they cut to him playing a club in front of like a hundred people. Yeah. Jay Bennett, because like that's what he yeah, how how low he fell off by having to start over again. It was. It's sad. Yeah. Really sad. And like, can I say something about documentaries? Uh, I know we're giving away a lot of the plot points, and um, well, these movies have come out a number of years ago. Yeah, we're not we're not ruining anything for you because they will be just as delightful when you watch them. Mm. Um, um, they're they're all really well shot and really well edited, and and um, are, you, are you gonna cry? Uh, there are nuances in them that you just can't express on the internet. <laughs> and I'm fake crying. Which, fake crying is kind of insulting to people, don't you think? When you see someone fake, fake crying, whiny fake crying. Do you feel like you're getting cheated? You mean like if they're playing a role or in life? Yeah, yeah, like if someone's playing a role and they're like... They do this thing on sitcoms sometimes where like, but I'm sad about it. And then they do like... 
Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Squinchy face. You mean in the I 80s was... they did that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who does that? Do they, and on they, Friends. Remember that, they still do that. that they do it on Friends. Or is a sitcom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dinosaurs, yeah, they did fake cry on dinosaurs. Um, I, I once, yeah, this, this first is dinosaurs total, reference of the night. <laughs> this is a total digression, but I used to work at an after school center for girls called Girls Inc. when I was a teacher, and there was one little whiny little brat. And and one time I was like, do your homework. And then she said something to me, and I, and I sort of was like firm with her. And then she started fake crying. But I called her out on it because she wasn't that good of an actress. And she did this at like five minutes into the class and then was fake crying. And then I was like, Did you I say know you're, you're fake crying? I'm like, you're fake crying. And then she just kept fake crying. I'm like, I know you're fake crying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you to the office for fake crying. And then she's like, I'm not. And then she would just, she, and then she just sniffled. She just sniffled for like the entire hour. And then at the end, um, she like got up and was like, I fooled you. And, and I was like, You never, f- oh. Well, <laughs> isn't that evil? Isn't that, who like, who would do that for a full hour? Girls see their moms do that with their dads. Women don't fake cry like that. What? What? I think- women, women. They don't fake cry like that. But they there's definitely real, like a whiny can, like. But I want to go to. Well, yeah, they can. They, but I think they can actually real cry over stupid bullshit. They don't have to fake cry. No, you can't get away <laughs> with fake crying when you're an adult. It's whiny. You're saying, whiny. you're saying women are petty enough on their own that they don't. I'm have saying to. the woman she's describing. <laughs> the woman she's describing like a really petty like I don't know like trophy wife or something who would whine that way could probably be shallow enough to work herself up over nothing she wouldn't have to fake cry that's okay. my point whatever girl <laughs> so but these these kids have such a, I'm sorry, these kids have such a, their feet are on the ground they've got a firm grasp of reality they have to fake it <laughs> uh these kids they don't <laughs> they have the uh, they don't have the ability i don't know they can't they can't grasp it they can't they haven't been uh they haven't i don't know well maybe what happens is you know as a kid you're like you know what i want something I'm gonna have to make my. I'm gonna make myself cry so I get it. Mm-hmm. All right, but after a while, that becomes it becomes instinct, you know. And uh, by the time you're, you know, 35, it's just there's there's not that conscious thought of oh I want this so I will start crying and start get it and I will get it. There's not that thought. It's just natural instinct. I would say that's true, and also you can get away with fake crying as a kid to other kids yeah. because kids have no bullshit detector. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, you know, one one of the things that you learn as an adult is just this calling bullshit on people and be like, no, that's you're, whatever, you know. I know where you're coming from. That guy's a douchebag. Um, what you're saying is a lie. Like all those things, it takes years to learn. And kids just they just buy in. They'll be like, oh, she's crying. And that's like the why whole time easy in that to class, advertise too. exactly. Like the whole time in that class, all the other kids were like, "You made her cry." I'm like, "No, she's not crying." She and all the kids were like, "She's crying right now." You know, like they bought in to the See, whole that's, thing. See, that's that's why whenever I was a kid and I would fake sick, because here's what I would do: like, there's two, you know, I would fake sick, like I'd try and fake my mom out, and if that didn't work, you know, or like sometimes I would go to school and just upon getting there, I'm like, I am not staying here today. I don't like this at all. And so what I would do is. I would plant the seeds with my friends first that I'm not feeling well today. And then later on, and then when, <laughs> when the time coming, I would tell my teacher, I got my friends to back me up. But I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say, hey, look, I told him, because then it's clear to the right. teacher. But the kid says, it's like, yeah, he, you know, I would have every once in a while, a friend would say, like, it's like, yeah, he told me earlier he wasn't, he wasn't feeling very wow. good. Because why would that friend say that unless it was true right you know so that's the thing you get people on your side it takes a village to lie huh absolutely nice. absolutely you are brilliant diabolical the one, uh, oh, 
we are off topic. But yes, <laughs> but yeah, the one time I got suspended was convincing two other people they should fight instead of actually fighting myself. Oh. myself. So I told that I've told that story on the podcast. But anyway, Tyler, so. the high school Iago. <laughs> All right, t- Tyler, let's uh, let's get us back on topic. Let's talk about one of the three rock docs you've seen. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Um, Name all three. <laughs> no, I got a freaking oh, build okay. to it. Well, what I did is uh, two of them, because what I, I decided I was going to further educate myself, along with seeing rock, do- rock Docs, I would pick subjects that I knew nothing about so that I would actually learn from it. Uh, so that's what I did with two of them. The third, which I'll talk about now, uh, was about a band that I really love. Uh, it was called New York Doll. Uh, and, uh, I That was one I was going to bring up. About the okay. Mormon dude? What was that? Yeah, about the, yeah. Guy the who's bass Mormon, player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Arthur. I, I haven't seen. Made that me one. love the New York Dolls. I I liked them before that. I like I like everything that David Johansson does, even Buster Poindexter, and even his uh, short stint on Oz. But um, also very good in Scrooged. Good in oh, yeah. Scrooged. That's, that's right. His, that's probably his acting highlight. Maybe. I don't know. Car fifty four. Where are you? There was that. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, that's right, buddy. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's quite horrendous. That's really bad. But uh, anyway, so the uh, and I didn't know anything about the the drama behind the Newark Dolls except that it's just like yeah, a whole bunch of them are dead, right? Like a disproportionate amount. Like <laughs> like in any band that like lived hard, it's like maybe one or two died, mm-hmm. but like. Like, when they first started out, their drummer died. So it's like, okay, let's get a new drummer. And so, technically, there were six members of the band. And so, when the time comes for the reunion, three of them are dead. And uh, so there's the remaining three. Um, and uh, and this basically tells the story of uh, Arthur Killer Kane, the bass player who, when the, when the dolls broke up, he's the only one that didn't really, you know, it kind of split up. Okay, we two will do this. These two will do that. And I'm here I am alone. And so he tried to do his own thing. It didn't really work out. So he wound up just moving to L.A., drinking a lot. And uh, and then if, after a while he, you know, became uh, a Mormon and and just and started working at a library. I mean, he started living kind of at a the, Harvey P. Carr existence. At the big yeah, at the big, on Santa Monica. Yeah, the big Mormon temple. And, uh, and he's just, you know, every, like, any interview with him, at first you're just like, wow. Every, like... I can't hear what he's saying because all I'm hearing is I've lived hard. <laughs> I dr- I used to drink a lot like that because but after a while you learn to really appreciate it and it's just he's a real kind of sweet guy and you just kind of feel bad for him and just and it's the story of uh you know uh the the New York Dolls getting back together for one performance in uh, London, right? In London. And which Morrissey is uh the mastermind of, correct? He, yeah, yeah, he really uh you know Good for good for Morrissey, you know, and so when is it ever bad for Morrissey, really? Well, fair enough. Well, according to his lyrics, <laughs> constantly. <laughs> I'm Touché. saying. Well, I think that was early on. I think he's been a very happy and out man for the past uh, 25 years. Yeah, yeah. He's a, look. He got the New York Dolls back together. That's yeah, what I'm, I'm just saying. More example of how Morrissey is magic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who among us can say they did that? No, no. no and, and 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 a group. With such um, animosity towards each other, I Very mean, they really—you so. could, even though they were happy to see each other in the documentary, you could see that there was still a lot of baggage. Uh, yeah, and they were able to, you know, uh, they were able to get over it for the performance. And and I, you know, liked seeing like David Johansson like come in and, you know, give uh, Arthur a hug and and all that, and just and uh, when they do when they performed and uh, David is. Uh, 
singling out each member of the band and the people applaud. He saves Arthur Kane for the last, and he says, the miracle of God's creation, Arthur Kane. Like, he saves him for last specifically, so he'll get, like, the biggest applause. And it was just a really, it was a really nice moment. And it just, uh, it's it, like, it was really, it was really heartwarming, and then it's, uh, should I spoil it? What no. do you think? No. Because well I didn't. Because I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. All right. It, yeah. It's very heartwarming, and that performance, it's just, it makes you kind of, it made me well up, because there's a moment right after the performance where Bob Geldof is talking to Arthur, and he's like, he goes, Arthur, you need to get back into this. You can't go back to work at the library, and Arthur's just like, well, you know, they they have a shortage of people right now, and they just, they need me, and it's just, it, and that's the thing, is, the it's a testament to the way the film is made that he can say that at the end of the film and I don't feel bad for him. He yeah. was he's somewhat content with that. Like now that he's done the reunion and he's gotten some of the baggage out of the way and he's performed again, he can go back to his life and he's not going to be too upset about it. He wants to go back to the library. Like you start the movie really feeling bad for him and really pitying him and by the end it's like no, he does have kind of a quiet dignity uh, to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just he just started to live for less. You right, know? right. Uh, and and didn't didn't shoot for, like, having the fullest life, but having a sort of a bedrock that he could sort of handle, too. Right. He seems like sort of a broken man a little bit, too. Like, he couldn't probably juggle a lot of balls in the air. Right. Um, which which brings me to an overall topic of Rock Docs. All right. Uh, I like watching – I don't like watching awkward things – real things or even on fake things they make me feel uncomfortable i do like watching tension on screen which is a slight difference but it, it's the most of the rock docs have at least one moment of people who don't get along trying to make it work together in a room and and then just sort of like saying one thing but meaning another mm-hmm. and then trying to be be creative with someone while there's this you know wall of tension i just i find that fascinating to watch uh and to tie it into a specific example if you've ever seen Let It Be, the Beatles documentary, if you want to see how annoying Yoko was, <laughs> um, check that out. Because they're trying to make an album, and Yoko's in the room under the piano. Like, Paul's at the piano. She's under the piano. Because they couldn't, John and her couldn't stand to be a part of, <laughs> of the room. Um, I, I, was she just, sleeping in like a kitten? <laughs> she, she's, yeah, she's like she's curled up, and then occasionally she'll just kind of glom onto him and like whisper in John's ear. And it's so clear how uncomfortable the rest of them are. But John was such a big personality, and probably the you know, there is no band without John, so they can't really say anything, mm-hmm. you know. And John always, I think, had the end had the edge of like, if you guys fucking give me any shit, I'm going to quit this shit band, you know. Like he always carried that with him, so they just sort of tiptoed around her in the situation. But it's on their faces, like. Oh. When you were talking about tension in the room, I thought for sure you were going to talk about uh, Metallica meeting up with Dave Mustaine. Right, right, right. <laughs> I haven't seen that monster. documentary. Oh, is it it's really another good? It's a long one. But uh, m- the more distance I have from that film, the more I love it. It's it's That's so ridiculous. It, you, do you know the, the, the premise? Um, no, I, I just know it's a Metallica documentary. It's essentially Metallica in therapy. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. They sort of spoofed it on uh, Metalocalypse very well. With the banana stickers. Oh, I, that one. I don't like that show. I know you don't. Continue. I like it a lot. But um, I, I think it's, it's, it's made well, you know, um, and it's made with a serious eye. 
And so it maybe doesn't sink in, or at least to me, didn't sink in immediately. I enjoyed the film the first time, but it didn't sink in just how ridiculous it is that it's fucking Metallica, that it's a heavy metal band in therapy. Like, it's, yeah. they've, it's, they've completely, like, you know, the Danny Warhols signed on, you know, and to their own success and have essentially castrated themselves and are just fucking jokes now. That's, that's Maybe I'm bringing my own opinion of what Metallica has become to... <laughs> to to the table here but uh it's 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 funny to me the movie. I, i've never been a metallica fan but but i certainly have heard from people that it's worth watching the documentary oh yeah um i think it's interesting too in a lot of these documentaries like you see especially with older rockers like that they drink and they do drugs not because not maybe maybe like 60 percent because they like to party but also 40% to just fucking deal with each other. And cuz you're with somebody all the time, you're being creative, you're you're arguing, you everyone has an opinion and and I'm sure I I mean that sounds like what the Metallica documentary well, is. I different. mean they've been together for how many years? Yeah, but it's different with Metallica. I, th- I think the the weird thing about that documentary is that what you're talking about is that that's the way a band functions. Mm-hmm. But at this point in the documentary, Metallica functions the way a small company functions. It's yeah. like their therapy is like it's like a like a retreat, like an executive retreat. <laughs> you know, that yeah. they really do run their band like it's a business, and it's like they're they're Metallica. They're they were like you know the uh, a banner band for like the mainstreaming of of heavy metal. You mm-hmm. know, and they're such corporate. Uh, like I mean, I don't, they're not even just sellouts. Well, I'm they're sure someone is scheduling each of them separately when to come in and do studio sessions. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that's funny is, I mean, well, the clue to that was, and it's in the documentary a little bit, is when Lars sued everyone and started the whole Napster thing, uh-huh. which is like, even if. Wait, sorry. Tell what is that? I didn't. Well, I about uh, that. when Napster was going and uh, super awesome, and we were all jumping on board of this <laughs> "Hey, music's free" thing. Um, Lars Ulrich, uh, the drummer from Metallica, was the one who really spearheaded the um, artist shutdown of of Napster, and we're, we're getting screwed out of our royalties, and um, which is funny because he's richer than God, you know, <laughs> like, and is in a band that was supposed to represent sort of some sort of toppling of, you know, maybe yeah. not a punk aesthetic of like toppling of like, anarchy, but certainly not status quo business like. Uh, you're you're affecting my bottom line here. I need to buy my fourth house. Yeah, you know? if you're Metallica and Bono's acting cooler than you are yeah. about free music. <laughs> yeah. Also, Lars Ulrich is into really terrible art. If you <gasps> those ah uh, people, the nouveau riche uh, rocker <laughs> art. Uh, it's I've seen some. Oh, because they all have these fucking huge houses, so then <laughs> they gotta fill their dead space with <laughs> dumbass sculptures. You know. Sorry. What can can you do? You know specifically what. Can you describe like is there a general theme? Is it like like really bad um abstract or Yeah. Yeah. I was, but yeah, it's not, it doesn't have the I don't know. I don't I'm not an art critic. Um, but uh, But you know it's bad. Uh, yeah, it's just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, um do you want to talk about the other two that you had? Oh, sure. You had two more. Um Well, yeah. Uh so I I liked the New York Dolls going into the going into New York Doll. Uh, but I didn't know anything about a clash when I went into Joe Strummer. The future is unwritten, oh, which seen it. uh, it's interesting. And I actually in the structure, it's structured a lot like the other one I saw, which was Tupac Resurrection, which is not rock, but it doesn't matter. It's amazing. It's an amazing. It's film. good. Oh, it's so oh, good. I, I loved I really like Tupac. 
Well, let's talk you about guys, that one for a second. Let's go yeah, back yeah, to the yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Do you know if you haven't, you haven't seen Resurrection? Have you seen it? No. Cool. I haven't seen uh, Resurrection. I do. Well, there's like 15 documentaries. Yeah, yeah. And that. I'll say this one thing. I was always resisting Tupac because growing up in Northern California in a very rich white beach enclave, um, it was the he was the rapper that all the rich white kids uh, <laughs> quoted and then sang. And then the um, – I think I told the story on Chipre, but the dude who was the most jock and the most like never spoke – and it was like would say fag the quickest, you know, like uh-huh. that kind of guy was in the stands before football practice and just bawling. And I was like, "Hey Ryan, what happened?" And he goes, "Tupac's dead, man." <laughs> um, and I, you know I, what? I'm, I'm sad Tupac's dead, but but him crying that hard over it made me think like I I can't ever listen to Tupac. <laughs> I don't want to ever feel the way he feels about anything, including <laughs> any art, especially. Well, and and kind of insulting like Tupac. Tupac had a very unique experience in in South Central LA. He's from uh, from Northern California. He was from Northern California. Oakland. Oh well, just as gang <laughs> gang raped. All ghettos are alike. Is that what you're but saying? But then he went to. I mean, <laughs> they, uh, Joel. Sorry, it's like the suburbs. <laughs> it's the same. But then he went to like Creative Arts High School. In, yeah, he went in to yeah. Philadelphia. Is that yeah? Was... Inform us about Tupac Resurrection. All right, well, let me tell you about the yeah, quickly, the, the structure of it because Tupac was a guy who liked to talk about himself a lot yeah. so mm-hmm. there's uh just a wealth of you know him talking so uh, it's a, it's the story of his life and it's actually narrated by him oh even though you know, obviously it came out yeah. like 10 years after he died he got nominated for an oscar yeah it was yeah oscar rightfully nominated. so i mean it's just because they uh and that they do the same thing with uh joe strummer they take various interviews of him and s- string it together but uh, with that one, they also intersperse it with, like, you know, uh, friends and relatives and celebrities being interviewed as well. This one, it really is – it really does just seem like he's still alive. And they brought him into the studio and said, hey, can you just narrate the story of your life? And uh, and it's fascinating how seamless it is because, I mean – and it also speaks to just how many interviews he did yeah. that they can – that they literally have every moment of his life covered oh, can you uh, in his own words. That footage? <laughs> yeah, it was, exhausting. it was worth it. But it, <laughs> I just got, I just, got, I just had the text. That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor you, editor. You, you, yeah, you jumped, you jumped back a few, a few levels just then. <laughs> <laughs> yep, sure did. Um, but and I didn't know anything about uh, Tupac going in, uh, except the only thing I knew was that he is amazing in a movie called Gridlocked. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh, Tim no, Roth. I've only seen Tim Roth, and it is awesome. Really? But, uh, and so directed I Directed by the guy who also directed Glitter. Yeah. That's right, Vondi mm-hmm. Curtis Hall. Yeah. And, and if I'm not an mistaken... Firefly. Yeah. And I believe that in the, the movie Falling Down, I believe he is not economically viable. That's right, yeah. So have you guys seen Falling Down with Michael Douglas? I have seen it. It's been a while. Oh. All right. But uh, anyway, so so in watching it, it just it it is fascinating because, as David says, like you know, Tupac lived in gri- like grinding pro- uh, poverty uh, with this you know Black Panther mom who was kind of in and out of jail and addicted to you know various drugs and that kind of thing, and he you know the people he looked up to in his community were like you know pimps and drug dealers and stuff, but unlike everybody else that he you know was friends with and associated with you know he would go to he would go to uh this you know arts school and it was just weird to because like you see like they show photos and like some footage of him with his arts art friends 
and it's like, oh, this is. He's like a. He, we probably all know drama geeks or probably yeah. were drama nerds in yeah. high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what, yeah, he's, he was a drama nerd. Yeah. And so, but what I, th- but I, I think it was great because the combination of those two things, because I was unfamiliar with really any, any of his, uh, you know, songs or anything. And so the, the movie, you know, showed, you know, some of his videos and stuff and he was really good. And his lyrics were really like, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't merely stating, you know, his opinion or, you know, stating facts of, you know, his life or whatever. Uh, he was stating it lyrically. There was, you know, an art, you know, there was a definite art to it that I don't think he would have known if he hadn't gone to that school and he hadn't had that part of it. Like mm-hmm. he did what a lot of, you know, a lot of people in his neighborhood probably would have liked to do. But because he had this one little, I guess not little, but like he had this one section of his life that was very much not at all, you know, thug as uh, his tattoo says. Oh yeah, he had an escape. Yeah, and and it just and it that is what equipped him to be as good as he was, but it was also his passion for the life that he lived that uh so it was just the combination of those two things really is what set him I think above uh, a lot of uh, a lot of other rappers at the time. Did you was it upsetting for you watching it to know that he was dead? Uh, yeah, actually. I mean, I, I'm not sure how upsetting it was, but it is kind of a weird thing that I would. This is going to sound kind of strange, but uh, you know, what with the like with the Dark Knight out, I had read all these reviews saying it's like, oh, you know, watching this and realizing that Heath Ledger is dead just made me sad, and I was like, what? It's the you know, you can't be sad watching the Joker, but then watching <laughs> it, I realized yeah. like. Oh, this is the only time I'm ever going to see this specific performance because the guy who's doing it is not around. Mm-hmm. And much in the same way, like after watching Tupac Resurrection, I'm like, man, this guy is, you know, or w- during during it, I'm like, oh, man, this guy is amazing. He's so articulate and so intelligent, you know, certainly a flawed person. No, no question about that. But just it's like, man, I, it's great that he's out there. Oh, wait, no, he's dead. Oh, that really bums me out. In college, I was, um, I got into Jeff Buckley, and then I was like, I'm gonna go buy some Jeff Buckley CDs. <laughs> and I went to the CD store. Remember CDs? Um, and uh, and I was like, I bought like six of his CDs and a bunch of live CDs, and I was like, Hey, so do you know if this guy's coming to town anytime soon? <laughs> and the guy looked at me, and goes. Uh, he drowned in the Mississippi River like three years ago, and I was instantly, I was so sad. I almost like, I was like, oh, I'm not even going to commit to this because, because, you know, he's dead, but, uh, I did, I got committed. Um, was your sadness, I mean, what, did it, ca- did it cancel out, uh, the, uh, incredible embarrassment you should have, you should have <laughs> felt at that time? I was super embarrassed. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. No, and the guy, he razzed me as much as you can razz someone for, when there's a death involved. Yeah. Uh, but he, I mean, look, people who work at music stores are kind of music connoisseurs and, and already have a, a heads, uh, you know, they have something over me as far as knowledge is concerned. So then to have that, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I made his day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I did a similar thing more recently as it was about, did you ask when sublime was coming to town? <laughs> <laughs> this guy Bradley is really great. Is he still hanging out in the LBC? You know what band um, I like? I like that Blind Melon. <laughs> blind melon. Uh, I was, I was, my friend of mine, uh, it was about four years ago, he, he just bought a Neutral Milk Hotel, 
album and he he just bought it and so i assumed i hadn't heard of it and i assumed it was new and then i listened to it and then tried to turn someone else onto it and be like this album is so good i think it just came out by a man named neutral milk hotel and the guy was like yeah that's like uh it's like 10 years old yeah it came <laughs> it's like seven. eight years old and i was like oh and he's like and, and they haven't made an album in like eight years because the guy's like jd salinger i was like oh did not well it's still good let's just listen to it oh i'm an that's, idiot you know that's funny because i did i first heard in the airplane over the sea in like 2002 or 2003 and had the same thing i was like oh this is like the best album of the year yeah and my friend was like you mean the best album in 97 yeah i mean <laughs> that's the thing about that album is it's um we, i mean we just celebrated the 10 year anniversary um and it's amazing it's it's my favorite album by far um and it doesn't seem from any era you know, like you could, it could be now. It now will be different. You know, because it's uh, acoustic guitar and horns. Yeah. And uh, and it's not. It's all. It's all. I guess alternative indie rock, but not. It doesn't sound like anything else in indie rock. And he does the lyrics aren't anything like it. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Well, I think the point is, if something tragic has happened to your band, put an insert in your CD. <laughs> <laughs> nothing Let us know tra- about nothing it. tragic happened to Neutral Hotel. It was just. Um, he he sort of freaked out. That, that's tragic. He's not writing music anymore because he's a recluse. Put yeah. that in there. Hey, by the way, don't get used to this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the end of the line on this one. Uh, what 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 was so sad about him? I think is that he the whole album sort of, and this is going to sound really weird, but it's sort of a love letter to Anne Frank. Yeah, because he read uh, Diary of Anne Frank, and he never read it in school, and it and didn't really know much about it, and it just affected him so much. That he sort of wrote this whole album, about, and it's about death and love, and, and 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 sort of, and she's sort of the center of it. Yeah. And I think he got really embarrassed about it. He got really embarrassed about like that he was sort of felt a spiritual a spiritual connection to her and, t- and sung about it in so in s- such a personal way that he didn't couldn't sing the songs anymore and couldn't sort of face the throngs of people who loved him for it. You know. It's, That's amazing. It's like. <laughs> Go check that album out. They don't have a documentary about it yet because he doesn't won't do an interview. I heard uh, he was writing children's books. Oh, really? Yeah. I heard. Didn't he go? To, wasn't he doing like field recordings of like of like African music? Wasn't didn't he go to Africa? And oh, was he I'm sure. Oh, he he's the classic guy of like didn't didn't he uh, apply to NASA <laughs> and then get rejected because he was too awesome. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah. Number three, oh, can Tyler. Can we talk about one? Wait, oh. does once count? Did you already talk about once? We, uh, once? we count that as a musical. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Last week on musicals. I know it's. I know it kind of rides the line a little bit because they already talked about it. But it's not a documentary. Oh, yeah, it's a musical it at all. It's a musical. Uh, oh, Tyler, number three. Oh, all right. Number three was the Clash. Yeah, number three was or was, was Joe, uh, Joe Strummer. Which you didn't the like as much as what was that? Tupac. You didn't like that as much as the Tupac. Not, I, I, I didn't d- like it as much. I've seen I've seen clips of it on IFC. It doesn't seem like. It seems really cool if you like the Clash. Which I do like the Clash, but it doesn't seem very well made or, or compelling. It's it's interesting, and it, I think it's one of those things where you know, unlike Tupac Resurrection, where I went in knowing nothing, and now I'm just it's like ah, this is amazing. Uh, I I feel like you kind of need to know and possibly love the Clash to really mm-hmm. like the movie, uh, because I don't really know anything about the Clash, and I went in hoping it would be informative. But what it does is, and we actually, we talked about this uh, when we talked about musical biopics, that there are just some where it takes the mentality, it's like, it's like, oh, you think you know about this person, but you don't. But very often, they're just like, oh, it's, no, actually, you're just showing me things I already knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, I didn't know anything about Joe Strummer, but like, 
it kind of I'm always fascinated, like whether it be uh, in any kind of, you know, a success story. It's like, how did he get from, you know, in the beginnings? How did he get where he is? Like, that's a fascinating process. Like, certainly what this superstar did while they were famous, that's also interesting. But how did they get there? And and the movie kind of just, you know, it, it's kind of it reminds me back. Uh, I had heard a, a friend tell me that he uh, took a class at Columbia and they had a guest lecturer, and the uh, lecturer said, like, he goes, now, if you want to make it in Hollywood, you know the one thing that, you, that you're that you absolutely going to need? And people are like, uh, you know, determination. Like, just they're <laughs> speaking in broad concepts, and then he actually went even broader. And he goes, nope, you're going to need luck. And it's like, that's great. I can't do anything <laughs> with that. I can't major in that. And much in the same way, it's just like. What a douchebag. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's an awful thing. But. Uh, was it Tony Robbins? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. During well, you know his what you need to make it in Hollywood is you need a car. That's well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's look. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's a famous quote. Uh, oh God, I forget who said it. It might have been. It was someone super bitter. It might have been John Carpenter or something like that. But it was uh, someone was like it was a panel. Someone's like, "Hey, can you give me any advice um, about about Hollywood?" And he said, "Take Fountain." <laughs> oh, okay. uh, well, that's is, an old uh, wh- Betty Davis quote. Is that Betty Davis quote? Yeah, I know that because I once. Oh, good God! Uh, during Spill it. I was I was watching uh, TMZ for about. Uh. I was telling David this that every once in a while I will watch it because uh, it's on between Simpsons and Malcolm in the Middle. And um, mm-hmm. get the and DVDs, so, my friend. What was that? Get the DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> Saves you a lot right. of embarrassment. Oh no, no no! Then I then I learned about Cash Cab. And uh, oh, okay. so that's that like, gets, okay, that gets you through the night. Oh, absolutely. And uh, not that I, I would ne- don't get me wrong. I would never watch an entire episode of TMZ because I would watch it just long enough to be like, what the fuck is the matter with yeah. me? And then I would switch over. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but okay. they, I they had get how you get to I want to find out how you get to Betty Davis from TMZ because they had. Uh, OK, so they they were following around William H. Macy for okay. some reason. OK. And uh, and one of the uh, paparazzi said, hey, do you have any uh, suggestions for. Uh, you know, for young actors, and he's like, "Yeah, take Fountain," and uh, and then TMZ t- was they were nice enough to tell me that that was an old Betty Davis quote, oh, and uh, so I was like, "Wow!" I, I saw J.K. Simmons on Fountain once. You saw who? J.K. Simmons. Oh, that, oh so lucky it's Fountain is the new Schwab's. Just go out there on the <laughs> <Yeah>. street <laughs> and then uh, put out your thumb, and a movie star will come pick you up. <laughs> um, this this is so inside, but if you don't live in L.A. Fountain is a it's probably since the forties a secret uh, east west street. It's not secret; it's a big street. But it's like, not a cool street to take. No right. one ever takes it, and it what does get you from from the west side to the east side fairly quickly. It's a block south of Sunset, and uh, yeah, but know. no one ever takes it. No. I mean, from La Cienega to probably La Brea, it's probably the quickest way to get yep. there. So, um, again, if you don't live in L.A., meaningless. How you know what that reminds me of? The Pixies. <laughs> quite loud. Quite yeah. loud. I mean, do you, is that on your list? I have not seen that. I know, right? Band tension. <laughs> that has oh, a lot of band tension in it. Such a good band. And, and, and really unsatisfying at the end because everybody wants the Pixies to get back together. It's obvious it's not going to happen. If it does happen again, it'll be for another short spurt. To but, make it, to make some money on a tour yeah. and promote their solo stuff. Um, by the way, I heard that Kim Deal's new CD is really good. Someone told me that. Anyway, bass player. So the one good thing about it is there's a girl who really, really loves the Pixies, and she's, you know, kind of a chubby little lady and and adorable, and 
you it's it's a small part of the movie, but you see her trying to get the, her auto, Kim's autograph, and this girl started playing bass for um because of Kim, and uh, and then at the end they show her playing a Pixie song with her band, and it's just like. If you can't have the Pixies get back together, it's kind of a like, oh, well, they'll still live on and kids like this. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's got a good, I think it's got a good well, ending. Well, what's interesting about th- that documentary and that band is they don't like each other. They don't even talk hardly they, to they each don't, other. They don't talk in the documentary. They, they clearly just don't even know how to speak to each other. Um, there's an awareness that they will never be as successful apart that they are together uh, uh, by far. And though I don't think anyone, well, certainly I don't think Frank Black will admit it. Subconsciously, there's an awareness that they make they'll never make as good as stuff as they did when they were together, which is a very interesting thing to as an artist, you know, as a creative person to to be locked in a situation where you don't really like these people, you don't feel any connection to them, you'll never do make as much money as when you're with them, and you'll never do as good work without them. Well, it's almost like the them. opposite of. It's odd because you're part of a comedy team. <laughs> and uh, so are you like speaking like that's how you feel? You feel like I don't care for this other person, but I got to <laughs> stick with them. Well, you know, we have an interesting uh, issue, which is um, we write and act in our show, but uh, I don't particularly want to write for television. Mm-hmm. And Joel doesn't particularly want to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have an issue. Like unless someone offers us to do, uh, unless someone says, I'm going to give you $300,000 an episode to do roommating. Then we, I mean, otherwise, what do we do? What do we do? We're what like, you we need to happen is the Seinfeld thing where it's your show and he's the showrunner. Uh, like Done. The, like the Larry David. <laughs> hey, we should have uh, oh, yesterday. Uh, well, yeah, uh, why, why don't you just, I mean, that seems pretty easy, right? Why See, now that you that? figured it out, <laughs> now you can be successful. Right. Well, but here's the thing, too. Well, we got to have a little luck, <laughs> and then we got to take Fountain. Good no, night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Wrapping it up. We Wrapping actually up. do need to, to wrap up soon. Okay. Oh, there, shit. There were two well, movies I was dying to get to. Well, well, we well get should we to just them. list them so people could you know? A, you have somewhere to go, so because I, I could record for another hour. but Oh, I'll go for another 15 minutes if you want. Okay, well, there were two movies I was dying to get to. I've used my three, so let's not. Well, this ties into the Joe Strummer thing, because it's about it's about punk rock because i was uh really into punk rock when i was like 12 and 13 who isn't when they're 12 or 13 i wasn't right. but i ever other 12 <laughs> 13 i know what but i feel like like when you you find out that there's no santa claus and you feel like you were lied or betrayed to i kind of have that relationship towards punk rock because i feel like eventually i grew up and i realized oh everything's not black and white and it's not this easy to overcome whatever you think is wrong about the world there's actually a lots of sh- lot of shades of gray and i thought i was i was lied to so with movies like decline of western civilization uh, which have you guys seen that? Mm-hmm. I have not seen. Um, it's it's pretty hard to come by now. Cause I don't it's, not, it's, on it's on DVD, DVD, right? Is it? It's not. Oh, it's not. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw it at the Gene Siskel Film Center in Chicago. Um, and the other one is uh, the Filth and the Fury about the Sex Pistols. Oh, I yeah, I saw that one. I saw. I that. saw yeah, that one with you. I saw that at the, oh. the tiv- I, I'm a guy who likes to it. say what if I saw it at a cool theater, I would say what theater. So oh, you that. should. You should promote those theaters because if they're putting out good stuff. Yeah. So I saw that at the Tivoli in St. Louis with Tyler. But they're both movies that turn sort of. I mean, it's like. The, the filmmaking itself is not punk rock. Like, it's a uh, somewhat academic, you know, and serious look at punk rock. And it, uh, uh, if you have the feelings that I have about this music, it totally, like, just just uh, punches holes in the in the facade of, of, of the just... A punk facade, rock? Facade, exactly. The, 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 the rebellion. Well, yeah. h- why is that? I, again, like, 
this is something that's more than any other movies you talked about. I've said this like three times today with Rock Docs that my opinion of the bands or of the music tends to color my perception of the films. Yeah. You know, which I, I when it's like a, if I'm watching a movie about if I'm watching Nixon, you know, Oliver Stone's Nixon, I can divorce that. But for some reason, like the relationship a person has to music, or at least for me, is is so personal that uh, even a, it, it could be a good film or whatever. But however I feel about the band is gonna is gonna color my perception. So even though I still like the music, I like the punk rock music a lot. Uh, it was probably way too important to me when I was twelve and thirteen, and so I have these sort of uh, this sort of ambivalent feelings toward towards these bands, you know, because mm-hmm. they. I I I pretty much like I signed up. I was like, well, this is my worldview now. That's what I thought when I was twelve years old, and uh, it it turned out to be such bullshit in so many ways that uh, I I like these documentaries because they make these people come off as kind of really shallow. It's not even yeah. That's the thing about punk is not even yeah. It's not even a worldview. It's like a you know. It's like a feeling you know Mm -hmm. verbalized into you know uh, yelling in three chords. So I mean, so it's yeah. It's it's sort of like a a general um, sort of saying no to whatever, but then, but then you know, to a, a society or, or a class or their parents, and but you, there's nothing else past that. Which was what is interesting about the Clash was the Clash started out as that and then continued to morph into a different band, yeah. and it was very obvious that the Sex Pistols couldn't. They right. were just that, yeah. you know. Have you and seen the Filth and the Fury? I have, and yeah. it made me really hate Johnny Rotten. Yeah, <laughs> like no, he's and, and then like. And you see that he's just a he's just a douchebag. He was a douchebag from the start, but it, it fit in that cultural movement. And then he just he's still a douchebag. But now, when you see him in interviews, it's like he's copying himself when he was nineteen to still uh-huh. keep it going as like a like the Charlie Chaplin oh. at Universal Studios who's still going. Like it's not uh-huh. really real Charlie Chaplin, but he's got the face paint on. Uh, that's what. Uh, so he still has to like. So now as a sixty year old man, he has to spit on people because that's what he did when he was nineteen. Um, I the daily reminder of Jonesy jukebox like <laughs> I, I can't I can't deal with that show and and no. it makes me wonder like if someone like that was in a punk band like it just like it blows my mind because there's a show here called Jonesy jukebox on 103.1 and it's Jonesy who is the guitar player for the Sex Pistols what's right. his what's his last name or is his last name Jones? Steve Jones Steve, Steve, Steve Jones, Jones. Yeah. and um he doesn't host the show he just it's like if you just gave an old guy a microphone who knows how to play, it's really self-indulgent and 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 makes me so angry. And it's on for like three hours. It's one of good. One, and it's I I don't want to. Here's the thing. Okay, when I'm watching, say, a sporting event, I want to see people who went to broadcasting school doing the announcing, not yep. not former players. Just like I don't want to. Joe Escalante aside, because he's fucking great at it. Mm-hmm. Henry Rollins' he's show good. is good. Yeah, is it? I've never listened. Yeah, to Henry Rollins' show is real good. Generally, give. DJ jobs to people who want to be DJs, not people who used to be mu- musicians, except for Joe Escalante is really good at it. And I think Henry Rollins, yeah, Jonesy is annoying. I don't listen to it, and I and I avoid it like the plague when it's on. And they replay it again in the afternoon, which fucking kills me, because for some reason when I was unemployed, I would only be in the car at 2 and at 6. And that would be <laughs> the only time he, and I would just hear, and, and he's just like, he talks really slowly, and he just, he burps and they play the microphone. good music. Like, they play good music. Like, fill that time with, like, MA3 or something. Is, but the thing is... He when he when he would interview people or talk to people like he would get like he would get like big guests like Gary Oldman would come on and they would talk and that's fun like the best Jonesy jukebox I ever heard was Chrissy Hind was on oh I and heard it, that one that was, was really good and it was just them talking about what it was like to be in London in like the early seventies pre punk huh. and like they knew each other like she was a waitress 
and uh, he was a bouncer, and he used to like steal kegs and stuff, and like they knew each other before they were anybody, and that was really interesting. But mm-hmm. yeah, most of the time it's just him dicking around. Um, the worst of the one three one show, a huge digression. The Suicide Girls have a show on Sundays, and <laughs> I've never um, to that. it's about six girls who never went to broadcasting school talking over each other. It's, it's really bad. Well, do you listen to um, just this week? Uh, what is it, ninety eight point seven or something? Uh, Ozo Motley is hosting mornings on ninety eight point seven. It's awful. Uh, yeah. Come on, right. Clear Channel. Do they own that station? No, they don't. Uh, well, Any one of three is owned by a like a Mexican broadcast, like a Spanish language. Oh, really? Conglomerate. Yeah. Telemundo. No. There's more than just one. <laughs> There's only one media and it's company. Telemundo. U- That's That's oh, I'm sorry. I'm being paid by Telemundo. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Telemundo shirt on. Telemundo. Is that better? Yes. Uh, what's I just your next made $10. One? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, we should probably wrap up because this is going to be my, this is almost our longest episode ever. Yeah. Oh, you got Wendy McWindersons on. Uh, yeah. End of the century, the Ramones one. That's good. And. The yep. Ramones, uh, I don't, ha- I don't feel I have those feelings for the Ramones. Yep. We never, you know, what we didn't go is we didn't do the uh, the one about Almont, the uh, Rolling Stones one. Oh. oh, the new one with uh, that Scorsese did. No, no the um, yeah. What's it? Oh, fiddlesticks. Also, it's don't basically forget. it's about the Almont concert, which is my parents grew up in the in the Bay Area and made a big deal out of it because it was their Woodstock. Like they couldn't make Woodstock, but they were they went to Almont and. Uh, Everyone took acid, and no one t- wrangled 400,000 people. The stage wasn't off the ground, and they hired the Hells Angels to uh, do security. Yeah. And they stabbed somebody, and uh, and they beat up the that Grateful Dead. That person died, correct? Yes, that person died. And they have it on camera, too, in the documentary. Um, um, I'll listen to another movie. Of course, the Maisel's uh, Beatles documentary. Oh, I've never seen it. Maisley's? Maisel's. Hmm. What's their Beatles documentary? Huh? What's the Beatles documentary? It's the Beatles' first um, visit to the United States. Hmm. Oh, it's cool. really, really good, and it's Maisel's brothers. Did I think it, I'm pretty sure it's Maisel's Grey Gardens. Yeah, Maisel's brothers. Did you, oh, guys talk, also, did you guys talk about Hard Day's right? Night a lot? They, I think they also made. I meant to get the Hard Day's Night. Yes, which last is week. crazy. Brilliant. We, okay, oh. we got two conversations. Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot the. There's mics on. Hey, sorry. <laughs> what, is it? what are we? The Suicide Girls? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. I'm as hot. Um, uh, no, we we didn't talk about Hard Day's Night. Uh, uh, I was gonna try and shoehorn it into musicals last week, but we. Uh, that that is a movie. Uh, considering it, it is really funny. Oh yeah, like laugh out loud funny. Um, well made. Uh, like still seems um, the filmmaking still seems vibrant. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and I can't imagine how cutting edge it was at the time. You can see why Soderbergh's so obsessed with, with Lester after yeah. uh, seeing Hard Day's Night, and thinking of where they were at. I mean, it was essentially like. You know, someone doing a Jonas Brothers movie, you know, <laughs> and having it be 50 years later, st- an artistic achievement we're talking about and really funny, you know, yeah. and utilizing what I mean, that's the thing is you really get a sense of why they love the Beatles and how their personalities and it's really funny and uh, it still holds up really well. If I agree. Out there hasn't seen um, also want to plug Christopher Nolan's uh, documentary about Kajagogo. Um, anybody want to check that out? <laughs> First of all, no one remembers that name. No one remembers that band, and they sang the song "Too Shy Shy." Yeah. Christopher didn't do it. I know. Right? I was yeah. a joke. 
Is that be- is that because I talked about a film for so long that you got? We're waiting little... show next Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> we already did our plug. That's how I, that's how I recover from jokes that I. By the way, I sat on that joke for five minutes. <laughs> you know what? You know what joke that's I, I sat on? You I know should... what joke I sat on? As long as we're uh, procrastinating and not getting off the air. Uh, is when you started talking about uh, Oliver Stone and Nixon, I was like, oh, I, I got to make fun of Oliver Stone. And then it drifted so far, and I was like, five minutes ago, I was like, can I still bag an Oliver Stone? No, too late. <laughs> too late. I can't bring it up. I don't have that filter. <laughs> Do you have, have anything it. now you want to air about Oliver Stone? Uh, it, I mean, Any it, grievances? Uh, I think he is the most self-indulgent filmmaker. Somehow, This is somehow why Joel, Joel most, shouldn't be an actor. Somehow our most, you can't uh, bash directors. <laughs> Our most self-indulgent filmmaker has also carved out a place where he gets to be like America's film historian, and he's a liar. You know, like why? Did, why? How would we let this happen? Where someone who uh, believes dumb shit with no proof just puts it up. It's like he's he's so fraudulent, and he doesn't have any filter, and he just like even when he makes a point, and it's like okay, oh, that's actually kind of he'll make the point eight different ways. And, and just smash you over the fucking head with it, and he'll use like a color filter to make the point. And then I'll have someone actually saying the line, and then I'll have an Indian taking you on a meditative journey to then have a who's from Jake experience that will then also make the fucking point. Uh, I I hate Oliver Stone. Wow, you don't hate him. You you wouldn't you wouldn't tell him that if you saw him in person. If Oliver Stone asked me what I think of his movies, I would say that not I, gonna happen. Never okay. gonna happen, Joel. What? And I, and I would and then I would say, and you know what, Platoon wasn't even that good. <laughs> wow. What about Born on the Fourth of July? Do you like that one? You know what? You know what I will say about that one, which you talked about with this Tropic Thunder. In all the craziness about Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. he is a very limited actor. Yeah. But he is a very like I don't think you I don't ever, think he's limited. I, I I mean, I'm not a very limited actor. I think you I think I can see I've seen his range. Like I've I think I've like I've seen him hit this like the like a balloon in the in a room. Like I think I've seen him hit the ceiling, but no one pushes himself more, and no one commits harder to shit. Like oh, yeah. as, Co- as Ron Kovic in that, he commits the shit out of that. Yeah. Like, really gives a good performance. Um, and uh, considering he was like America's number one movie star at the time, which is really impressive. Yeah. And the same thing in Tropic Thunder. Like, that's a crazy role to commit that hard to. Do you guys, you guys seen you it? Still haven't seen it. Uh, I, and you, I'm you, not. Well, not I, I mean, it's not like you guys, you know, earned a film or anything. Or we don't I, review current films. films on my list of things. You don't to review see. current films. Well, that's not what we're about. We will sometimes mention them, but uh, that's not. We don't have. We don't have that uh, roommating show money flowing. <laughs> Sore right. spot. Hey, hey, uh, hey you know we how much money 60, we made on sixty dollars from views. Views uh, <laughs> gave us sixty dollars. We split two ways. You know how much money? Aaron gave me a check for thirty dollars. I said, "Ooh, yeah. I can buy. I can buy a th- And we only lost. We this. only lost four hundred dollars on our live show. <laughs> Because I had to buy a couch for Comedy Central. <laughs> that, how much did the cost? Uh, Sixty-five dollars plus a U-Haul. That's another <laughs> podcast. Can we do a podcast about how how much it costs to get a U-Haul and take a couch to a stage. Hey, okay. by the way, if you're moving to LA, bring some money. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. You're gonna need. Okay, so car. Yeah. Luck. Yes. Money. Yes. Here's the thing, though. If you have enough money, you're you may not need the luck. So, oh, yeah. but you'll but always you're, you're need to take Fountain. Hey, <laughs> good night, everybody. Can we Let's actually that? say good night on that. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right, thank you guys here. for having us. Oh, it was so yeah. nice. Um, uh, yeah, ruminantingshow.com, um, Wednesday, the 27th. Or it's, all the time at the website. Yeah, uh, at the Yeah, UCB. but come to our show if you haven't seen it because we're not going to do it anymore. And um, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, you guys. Thanks for no being problem. on. Yeah, bye. Bye.